Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Life's busy. Take this deck. There's heaps to do on it. Like, um, polishing off this wine. That's tough. Life's pretty good with a Trex deck. Composite decking with no hard maintenance. Trex, the world's number one decking brand. For logbook servicing you can rely on, you need to make the right choice. You need trained professionals who are fully qualified to service your car according to manufacturer's specifications. For real peace of mind and a nationwide warranty, book in or book online at repcoservice.com. It's always a huge ask to win in the hostile environment over in Australia, and so much so we haven't had an ODI series win there. So could this be history-making Black Cap side put a change to that? Hamish Bennett has played for the Black Caps during this special time as it has been immense for the Wellington Firebirds for a long time in domestic cricket also, and he's on the line now. <coughs> morning, Hamish. Thanks for joining in, mate. Hi, morning. Hey, cheers. Hey. Morning, boys. How are we? What do you know? We are very good, mate. Exciting, excited for this afternoon. I was uh, having a wee look at the previous result. Has it been a happy hunting ground for the Black Caps? <coughs> mate, what, what makes this challenge over in Australia such a difficult one? Well, I actually think um, it's a little bit different, this challenge now, with um, the games being in Cairns. Obviously, Zimbabwe showed, you know, playing in Townsville, the wickets being a bit different, not being in those traditional, these hostile cricket environments where it's a bit intimidating, you know, playing at those iconic grounds. I think actually playing in Cairns is actually a really good thing for us. I think the Australians obviously um, looked a bit rattled in, in uh, Townsville. They looked to cruise against Zimbabwe. Unfortunately, I think for New Zealand, I think, we probably wanted Zimbabwe to be Australia in game one, probably not in game three. I think um, Andrew McDonald probably would have given them a Kevin Walters-like spray. Probably could have got him up from Broncos HQ to give the boys a bit of a spray and hopefully a few of them um, didn't have really cry about it. And um, I think Australia will be will be on, um, unfortunately for us, in, uh, in game one. I think the intensity will be, will be pretty high and they've copped some pretty bad media back home um, about losing to Zim. So they'll, they'll, they'll want to, uh, a bit of showing. So you, so you think that five-wicket loss to Zimbabwe is going to spark them, mate, and, and what, we don't have the squad to, to go out there and get a win on the back of that Zimbabwe win? I, I, think, we do have, I think we do have the squad, definitely, to go and um, to obviously try and put some more, uh, put the foot on the throat and really try and rub some salt into their wound. I just think, um, I just think for us, if Zim, if Zim beat them in game one, it would have been perfect. I think the Australia would be really barred up, I think. But what it's going to come down to, it's going to come down to the pitch. Um, we saw that in Townsville, just sort of un- untested, hadn't been played there much. It was a tough wicket. Um, hopefully, Keynes is a bit flatter of a wicket. Um, and a lot of those Australians under the pump, mate. So it's probably a pretty good time to to to, 
to play them. I just think um, Australia will be pretty, you know, I think they'll come out pretty barred up as well. So it should be a hell of a game. I think we just probably need a few things to go away early. A fellow fast bowler like yourself, mate, would you be licking your lips to be able to play over and obviously in Cairns and over with the heat and obviously the moisture in the air? Will that will it allow the swing bowlers to have a huge impact? Yeah, I hope so. I'd be really interested as you see what it's like under lights actually at Cairns mm-hmm. there. And traditionally in Australia, you want to sort of bat under lights because the pitches were dried out during the day. But this time of year, I mean, if you bowl under lights, the wicket can get a bit wet like it does in New Zealand. It could be really good swinging conditions. So. I'll be interested to see what both teams do, actually, if they want to... I mean, in that Townsville series, obviously, both teams like to bowl first just because of the surface. So, uh, And we've got two batting captains, so they probably won't want to bat first if they see a hint of grass or a hint of swing or a hint of anything on there. So um, it'll be pretty interesting to see um, what happens first up. It's pretty unknown, I guess, for both teams and, and the spectators. Sorry, Hamish, and what about the spinners, mate? Do you think we'll pick a spinner uh, going into this this test? Uh, well, unfortunately, you have to pick a spinner, don't you? No one wants to watch them, but unfortunately, <laughs> you have to pick them. Um, no, I think I think we'll play Mitchell Satner, uh, definitely. I think the big solution conundrum there um, is, do you play Tim Saudi or Matt Henry? I mean, Matt Henry's been the incumbent, um, then obviously got injured uh, before the West Indies ODI series, and then Saudi came in and had a hell of a series with the ball, got a three for and a four for um, gets that bounce, um, which is really key in Australia, and can swing the ball like Matt Henry as well. So I think that's probably the big selection conundrum of who they pick out of those two. I think Mitchell Satner definitely plays. Um, then it just mm. depends on the surface whether you go more seamers or you bring someone like Michael Bracewell in who can hit it at the end and then maybe bowl to Alex Carey. And that's, yeah, that's Stephen's the only left-hander, really. Only Sashin Agar plays. Oh, I'm Warner up the top. But I want to ask you about Michael Bracewell. He's obviously from Wellington. You've played a ton of cricket with Michael Bracewell. Mate, what have you made of his uh, transition into the international level? Had a hell of a series in our last out in their last outing. So you, you've been pretty proud, and, and, and you made of his uh, performances. Yeah, oh, mate, I, I think it's one of those things. I think you probably knew a lot of players as well who could have played for the All Blacks or be good enough to play at that level. It was just about timing. Um, Brace has just got his timing when he's a little bit older. Um, hard-hitting, obviously, all-rounder. Probably just... Um, the, the tough thing for him, mate, is he hasn't been bowling that much. I mean, he was keeping not that long ago. Uh, so he's just been bowling, you know, bowling to quality players at international level. Um, and unfortunately, he's, he's no prisoner to international cricket with the amount of media and scrutiny and data and... So he's just got to um, just stay mentally strong with his bowling, really, and know that some days it's going to be pretty tough, and then other days hopefully he can get some rewards. But I think having the, the two spinners in the, in the side be able to spin the ball both ways, um, I think that's, that's pretty big for New Zealand, especially going into the World Cup in India. Hamish, the ODI, do you think the players still value that cricket? That's a great question. Um, I think the players do. I think from a fan's point of view, um, I think they just want to see a bit of, you know, a bit more hit and giggle. And I actually think that's what undid Australia in the last um, in the last one day was they actually tried to go as Zimbabwe, tried to charge, tried to really take the game to them, tried to dominate them, and it wasn't a surface to do that. So I think, I think the players still like it. I just think it's, and a lot of cricket traditionalists still like it. I think it's just I don't know, what's happened mate, and the landscape's changing so quickly. Um it's just one of those things. I don't think anyone, especially you no know, Indians, are getting their checkbook out to to do a 
a 50-over sort of IPL-like tournament. Unfortunately, I guess all the money's in the T20 or, or less balls. Hey, I just want to quickly ask you about Kane Williamson. Obviously, he's had his fair share of niggles over the uh, last couple of years. How important is this series for Kane as a cricketer and just really stamping his mark on that captaincy? Um, just obviously, injuries has, has caused a major hurdle in his career, but this series, are we expecting him to really go over there and just stamp his mark on the split cap side? He's just getting a dad bod now, isn't he? He's just realising what it's like to have kids and he doesn't have as much time and he's going to be picking them up and moving around the household and all that. He just can't bat now for sort of eight, nine hours a day. So he's just, he's just realising what life's like. But I think for, um, I think for Kane, um, you know, I mean, he's, he's already got that mark on the captaincy within the group. I think um, yeah. he's obviously had a bit of a tough time with the bat. Um, you know, and the media obviously jumps on that because they're so used to um, like him and Coley and that scoring so many runs. So if you if you're thinking if you're feeling bad and I think Kane's not going great, I mean think of Virat, he's not scored a, a hundred international cricket for over a thousand and a bit days. I think they update it every day, the Indian fan base, poor fella. So um I'm expecting uh, yeah, I'm always expecting runs from Kane. I think every time he comes out of bat they're expecting runs because so, he's just such a quality player. So there's no doubt he would have turned over every stone to um himself the best prep and he would have batted in the nets a lot um, and that's an understatement so I guess he's just he's just got to get a couple of shots away um, you know what it's like is he when you play the bike crash you yeah. just need to get out there and get a couple of shots away <laughs> and you know it's your day quack, I'm quack. Um, zero uh, not out <laughs> a duck so I haven't got a shot away there Hamish he's, <laughs> a, he's a fisher <laughs> He likes fishing, Hamish, that on that outside. I'll sort that out. You're not, you're not, you're not playing, are you, mate? I don't want to face your bloody rapidness had, coming down there. I haven't, I haven't had an email or anything, but if, if Flynn's listening, or either Heath Mills or either Player Association, would mind getting out there, having a wee jam run? Oh, jamming it down there. I'm, nah, nah, I'm, nah, I'm, nah, I want to see his face in it. <laughs> nah, nah. Hey, Hamish, what do you make of the contract chat, <laughs> the players, and trying to free themselves up at the moment? Um, oh, mate, it's... Um, it's great to watch from the outside. I think um, I think it's really tough, mate. I think I actually think all countries after this next IPL option are, are going to be in the same boat. I think we just did it a bit earlier, just with the amount of money. Um, I think the IPL next uh, next IPL. I think it's 14 million US a game um, is the television rights. So there's you know 10 teams playing. 14, 15 games each. Um, so, you know, it's a lot of money. So, I mean, you're expecting those contracts to be somewhere between sort of seven to nine million, I think. I think it's landing around about there for that sort of um, work. You should have, you should have kept playing cricket, is he? Instead of choosing rugby. Um, and, um, that's crazy. You know, yeah, so you, you look at that and you think, you think of someone like Pat Cummings, you know, I mean, could he get an eight, nine million dollar deal? And could he just burn off the test capsule of Australia and just focus on that? You just, you just don't know. I think it's going to, Kimmy, I think it's going to turn into football. I think, um, mm. you know, you have your four or five leagues. You look at, I think Australia, the Emirates League and South Africa won't clash next year at all. So I'll try to get their own windows. You've got the IPL window and then you get a window for the 100. And that's probably 40, 44 weeks of the year. And then I reckon a bit of international cricket around that. I reckon that's what it's looking to, to be like, unfortunately. Hamish, is it good for the game? Is it good for the game of the cricket? What's going on with all this money? And, you know, money can be the the death of many. And, you know, like you've seen what it's done to a few few people around around the world. But what's your take? You think it's good for the game? 
Um, oh, look, I, I, I still love my test cricket and I still love the, the amount of international mm. cricket that is played. But I look at the younger generation and I do a little bit of coaching with the younger generation, see them around sort of indoor centres or down in the nets. And yep. you see a lot of big bash tops now, you see a lot of IPL tops. You know, it's equal to the amount of New Zealand tops, if not more. So I think it's just the way the world's trending is is the way the leagues are. I mean, they're exciting, they're action-packed, they're in and out. And then I guess with the with COVID as well, um, international cricket's not become weaker, but I think teams have um, teams have picked and choose the, who plays when, and that's probably you know what happened to Australia losing to Zimbabwe. They didn't have Pat Cummings. You know, if you put Pat Cummings in that bowling lineup, do you back them to defend one forty? Possibly. You know, they could have bowled them out for under one hundred and forty. So international cricket hasn't become weaker. It's just become people were just picking and choosing when they rest players and, and that. So you would hope that if there's more leagues and there's less international cricket, that when there is international cricket, everyone's available and everyone plays. Beautiful, mate. Oh, I appreciate you coming on. You got the call later on this afternoon. Good luck with that. Have you got a little like, one-liner you're going to use? You prepared a little one-liner you might be able to share with us? Yeah, we should listen um, to you tonight. A little word. Or, you know, what do you got? I hate you, Australia. <laughs> I love that one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, throw it out there, bud. Throw it out there for we'll our SC, early, uh, early. partners. Get it, <laughs> Get it out there early, mate, because it might come back to haunt you if uh, history is anything to go by. Mate, appreciate you coming on the show, Hamish. You've been it. Uh, champion bloke. Thanks, bud. There he is. Hamish. Boys. Hamish about dropped the mic. So been... <laughs> <laughs> what about his crack up? Talk about came mate, He's so good. <laughs> Batting for nine hours and just realising life is about kids now, boy. You know, Kimpy, like, we've talked a lot about live golf and we've seen it blow up, but cricket in the calendar, like sporting calendars for these um, sports codes that aren't all done on one, you know, that it's not a monopoly. Like, it's outside the NBA, the NFL, like the EPL and like football is a little bit interesting because there's a multitude of them and you got the Champions League and they can kind of hang in there like that, but it's got their own issues. But these sports that depend on a calendar where you try need to try and line the athletes up to be in the same place, they're about to go through absolute turbulent times with investment coming in at a rapid rate. And like, what's to say that the Saudi money doesn't come after cricket next? 100%. I've just been writing some notes down as Hamish has been talking like, and you're, and you're looking at it through, I guess, multiple sports is that fan experience and how you engage those fans um, when he's talking 14 million US dollars a game over 10 mm. to 14 games. You're talking massive money, big contracts and attracting players all because of fan engagement and that fan experience. So um, it sort of says to me that the the way that we watch sport in the future is really going to be governed like... I know it's governed now by media rights, but I mean, like, if you've got that many people watching the game in India and they're paying that much for one game, of course players are going to go because they can get... Where else are they going to get $9 million from? Well, that's what I'm wondering. I think there's going to be more places they can get $9 million 100%. from. 100%. Like and if you're thinking... And it might be $19 million. As he, go, as he goes from living on a five-acre block in, in Christchurch to, you know, owning half of the Gold Coast overnight... You know what I mean? It's just, it, the, the money is phenomenal. It's crazy. It's crazy. crazy. Honestly, I was watching the LOV and I was thinking, wow, you know, like 
just seeing the fan engagement, the like spectacle, entertainment. We all want to be entertained. And just seeing the whole setup, I'm sitting there thinking, the PGA, they must be shaking in their boots for what they were just watching. Like, obviously, um, DJ getting that, wow, what a putt it was. To they win reckon, the that, they reckon that Sharky Norman had a magnet in the hole. <laughs> Get out. Oh man, all the conspiracists were coming out and left, right, and centre. But no, honestly, like, sports about entertainment and being entertained, and that draws it's the fan entertainment fear. business. And that's, that's right. what they do. That's what LOV do. They got all the flashy lights. Look, it's not your traditional golf, but it's different. You know, when the IPL came out, it was different, and people hated it at the start. But then it started drawing attention and drawing, uh, you know. Uh, golfers or cricketers from around the world to go and be a part of it, and money talks, mate. Honestly, from watching that, I was thinking, wow, the PGA, they must be just sitting there going, what is happening? How has it come to this? Well, and, and the, the where you don't have one governor that can kind of, or an arbiter, a czar of a sporting code, trying to line these calendars up with money coming from here, there, and everywhere, as Kempi points out, you can change someone's life overnight. It's only a matter of time. And then what's the next sport after, you know, I'm not watching the tennis now. Like, who's to say the WTA and the ATP are sound? I mean, what's the figure? What's the number? Watching the next, I said it, the next 10 years of sport and where it goes is going to be fascinating. 100%. You can't, you can't have that one, that one model uh, one shoe fits all, you know. And like it's it's like rugby in this country. You can't continue to say you got to play play in New Zealand. This is my own thoughts. So you you can't play in New Zealand. I can't pick you if you go up and play in Europe. You know what I mean? There needs to be players are just not going to choose the black jersey. Is he? When you were a kid growing up, all you want to do is play the play for the black jersey. Yeah. You know the money was there, yeah. but it wasn't you know phenomenal. But but now mm-hmm. you're talking phenomenal money for front rowers to go up to Europe. Like where is a front rower going to get that type of money? See, it's, it, 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 I know we're going to shoot off, Louis, but it, it kind of resembles or just kind of goes along the lines of, you know, a lot of these people play for their big clubs, Chelsea, Everton, and then they go back and play for their country for squiddles, you know? Yeah, for the love of it. it, it for the love of it. So is that where we're going to get to with a lot of these sports? Yeah, going yeah. back playing for their country is for the love of representing your jersey. Well, pretty much right now. I mean, mm. look at what Trent Bolt's done. You know, like he wants to play for the Black yeah. Caps, but he's actually said that can't be my priority anymore. No, and nobody, and I don't actually think anybody's blaming him. No, of course you don't. Off the back fence with Tony Kent. Ah. <sighs> Who would have thought that the All Blacks would be top of the championship table at this time only a month ago? While the team struggled to come to terms with the impact of the series loss against the Irish, followed by a loss-win-loss-win start to the championship, all past indiscretions have seemingly been washed away. All of a sudden, the country is back on the All Black Super Train, and with the Bledisloe Cup up next, expectation of a nation is riding high. Can the unthinkable really happen in the All Blacks win both the championship and the Bledisloe? And will the country finally stop going after Fozzie and Sammy Kane if they do? And how important is it then that this Bledisloe competition for the All Blacks comes around at this time of the year? I think there's a great chance of the titles being locked away in the NZR cabinet this year. And if that does happen, Fozzie and Sammy will be regarded as saints, not sinners, leading into the World Cup. But lose the Bledisloe, and I think the New Zealand public will be calling for blood again. Losing to the Irish, South Africans and Argentinians are one thing, but losing to the Aussies, well, that's just unforgivable.
Off the Back Fence with Tony Kemp. Kempy, interesting you talk about the where the situation is with the All Blacks in the Rugby Championship because the upshot is everyone can actually win it. So everyone, and this is including Argentina, <laughs> Australia, South Africa and the All Blacks, can finish top or finish down the ladder. The, actu- the, the actual reality is the All Blacks could beat the Wallabies in both games and still not win it. The only way they guarantee winning it is by thrashing the Wallabies, so beating them with a bonus point. So it can shake down in so many different permutations. For you, Izzy, if they win both the trophies, all is forgiven? Uh, look, it goes a long way, for sure. Um, it goes a long way to just... Um, you know, just calming New Zealand, uh, New Zealanders um, down. You know, just just making them relax. Um, but look, uh, I was just thinking about Kempe's thoughts. Like, yeah, I could just handle a loss to to Ireland. I can just handle a loss to Argentina, but I could never ever forgive <laughs> losing that exactly. little low trophy didn't to Hamish, Australia. Didn't Hamish hit the nail <laughs> on the head? Everyone asked me, "Who do you hate like losing?" I said, "Oh, I hate losing." One, but I couldn't stand losing to the Aussies because they just let you know that they've won it, and I just can't stand it. But um, mate, just so much history. Twenty years since we've we've held that trophy. The Lord bless us. So it's something that outside the World Cup, this is the trophy that they they cherish the most. So look, if they did that, oh, it'll be bye bye to Fozzie and Co. Because it's just yeah, I don't even want to go there, Louis. Don't even want to go there. Kempe, let's do it. Let's go live to the Hurt Box. Hey, out there, a splendid smile. About on Saturday night in Hamilton is not only did the All Blacks get up, but so did the Bushies over the debt collectors in the under-85 kilogram national finals. Southern Bush Pigs manager Andrew James is back with us this morning and is surely feeling the pain of what I imagine was quite a loose mad Monday. Morning, Andrew. How is your head? Yeah, g'day, mate. i tell you what. Um, the, <laughs> been through the ringer. It's, uh, it's been a few days, that's for sure. Yeah. What? Mate, yeah. Tight. it was a tight oh. game, but nervous? Getting heading towards the end? Yeah, a lot of nerves. I reckon the last 25 minutes, actually. Um, yeah, me and the coach, Ty, were, um, you know, we could actually see each other's hearts beating. It was it was real scary stuff. Um, that's finals footy, though, isn't it? And um, boys got there in the end just... <laughs> Mate, the Auckland Depth Collectors obviously had a lot of size. You'd think under the 85s, you know, the size doesn't matter. But they actually did have a bit of bit over you in the Ford Pack. They were they were um, getting a lot of dominance there. What was the messages to try and um, nullify their success around around the Rolling Moor and the Fords? Yeah, they um they, they certainly outplayed us and Graham uh, in the in the Fords and Graham Henry um rubbed mm. it in in the sheds after he said yeah yeah. You're your forwards were pretty shit. Your backs were awesome. <laughs> 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 um, oh, that's just some honesty from Graham, eh? Good feed, yeah. good but, feed, um, good feedback. Nah, yeah, I think we um a lot of a lot of the game we um we were piggybacking them uh, in tackles and we didn't get them low, so we we just had to keep sending that out there and um penalty penalty count was yeah super high. Um, quite stressful on the sideline just watching it because your messages aren't really going through to the boys. I guess that's maybe the occasion, the final. Um, and, um, and yeah, but got there in the end, mate. We got there in the end. So, um, yeah, certainly stressful times. Hey, Andy, you've uh, won a couple of back-to-back titles now. Has uh, the recruitment um, people from overseas come knocking on the door like they did last year to try and take a few of your boys? 
Oh, the um, look, we we haven't really um, haven't really been kind of listening to any outside noise. We've been trying to deal with um, <laughs> celebrations and <laughs> and you know, actually we had a bit of drama on Sunday. We um, we're off at six thirty a.m. on a bus to Auckland, flying down to Christ, uh, flying down to Dunedin on a direct flight. We get to uh, Dunedin Airport, twenty metres from landing, high winds diverted to Christchurch. Oh. So um, we uh, we went to Christchurch Airport three hours, um, feeling sorry for ourselves. A couple of BK burgers, and um, and then finally get a bus down to Dunners. We didn't get to Dunners till 9 p.m. We were meant to be arriving at 11. So the boys were pretty defeated um, mentally there. Um, and yeah, but um, but we had we had one hell of a Monday, a Monday yesterday. That's for sure. Back on the horse, I'd say, mate. Just carry on. These are the times of your lives, mate. That's why you play the game for for moments like this. So surely that bus ride, you, oh. you chipped away at a, at a couple, mate. But few of the stars of the game. Oh. I saw that finish from your um your right hand wing, mate. Oh, you had some quality, some quality skills out there. Yeah, old Rancy. Yeah, the ginger ninja. He um <laughs> that was brilliant, wasn't it? Yeah. I was actually Snapchatting. Um, I, being on Sky Sport, I thought, no, 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 we'll leave, we'll leave the social media out of it. And I was, I was getting a bit of Insta and Snapchat footage, and I managed to just catch that try live. So that was pretty good stuff. It was, um, yeah, got got the boys um, fizzing up. It was that was an awesome try. That and then Bucky got one later. Our uh, our centre, so um, yeah. yeah, got one late in the game as well. It was beautiful. He was quality too, mate. But just on that, on the moment, like doing the anthem, like the whole um, build up to the game, mate. Like the boys are loving it. I was, I was following the camera when they were panning across their faces. There were smiles, eh, mate? So the boys obviously really cherish that moment to be able to do a curtain raiser uh, before the All Blacks game. Yeah, they were chuffed. It was, it was a huge occasion. They um, coming up to me um, after the game and just being like, wow, you know, and awe. Of, of it all and um, you know, thanks to New Zealand Rugby for giving us that opportunity playing before an All Blacks game unreal you know so um, that, that was epic yeah the boys were just fizzed um, so it was it was it was just such an experience for the guys and um, to get to another final and get the job done again it's great great to get the, um, the uh, another title and um, we actually looked after the, the trophy this time it's um, still in one piece <laughs> Oh mate, that's cracker. Oh, we'll let you go, mate. I can hear it in your hear it in your voice. You're ready to go again, mate. Day three, it's better than day two. Yep. All right, you'll be yeah, fine. Go on, go well, mate. Go well, my okay, man. Yeah. <laughs> hey, trust your pig. There he is, Andrew James, manager of the Southern Bush Pigs. They got the job done against Auckland Debt Collectors and uh, old Graham Henry. Eh? <laughs> it's pretty on the nose when he talks up pretty straight up. As they come, I'll tell you a story. Actually, come down to the Highlanders um, my first year, and I was playing well. I don't know if I've told you the story, but I probably have. And he comes down, and I'm, you know, I'm feeling good about myself. He walks around, and he comes up to me, and goes, "Dag," I'm like, "Yeah, dude." He goes, "Geez, you're looking tubby." <laughs> 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 and I was like, "Huh? Oh, you're looking a bit tubby, but you're going well. Keep it up." That's a good impression too. <laughs> yeah. oh, I can do them all. I can play the. He can sing. He can play the guitar. He can dance. Ah, hell of a man. <laughs> oh, very good. Well, to be fair, you did tell us that you'd put on what, like, ten clicks. 
No, not ten clicks, but I was, uh, yeah, I was, I was probably, I was, my playing weight was ninety five ish, and I think I got up to about ninety nine. Oh, yeah, okay. So I put on four. You heard that Butch? But you, still, heard, you heard that Butch Castle story. You heard that one, Butch Castles? No. Get, we get him on the radio. We've had him on. We get him on to talk about horse racing. Um, he goes down to Dunedin, goes down to halfback, goes down there for yeah. a year, comes back at the end of the year, walks off the plane, his mum doesn't recognise him. <laughs> <laughs> well, she might not recognise him again because he's just done. A, he's actually been in fat camp, self-proclaimed, and he's actually. I saw him on Sunday. He's, he's not looking half bad, the old butcher. So he's he's going pretty good. Oh, it's a huge moment for community rugby in New Zealand. I'll throw it to you, Louis, to introduce our next guest. Yeah, no, you're right, Izzy. It actually is. A, it's, I'd, I'd probably call it a seminal moment, to be honest, because we've been ambling towards this for a long time now. NZR and the 26 provincial unions, well, it's just gone ATM, and they've just opened applications for $7.5 million worth of funding for rugby clubs as part of the recent Silver Lake involvement into New Zealand rugby in our national game. Over 450 community rugby clubs are set to receive investment, which ranges from 10000 to 40000 per club with the first round to be paid by the end of October so we're in September now we're talking cash injection Steve Lancaster is the GM of community rugby he's always very good with his time he's in the studio wandered down the corridor to see us this morning g'day Steve how you doing yeah good thanks yeah it does make it easy when it's just to walk down the corridor doesn't it <laughs> could have bought some coffees <laughs> <laughs> next time not for the leagueies. They're saving it for the community. They're saving <laughs> it for the community. Right. Seven, seven and a half million dollars and not a coffee, is he? But, Can't believe but, it. But, and, you know, Steve, like, today has been a long time coming. You must be, I mean, you are mm. beaming. You must be so thrilled. Yeah, we're delighted. I mean, you know, all the way through the, the process, um, and it was quite a drawn-out process, as everyone knows, in, in getting the Silver Lake transaction across the line. Um, we, we were consistent that the, the, the main driver behind uh, that endeavour was to, to put more money and more investment into our community game. And so I use the word seminal moment. And I think that's a really a really appropriate word. You know, we're, we're really excited today that we can actually put something tangible um, directly back into the grassroots of the game. 450 clubs based on, I guess, part of the criteria would be numbers. Um, when you're talking 10 to 40K, yep. um, what sort of difference is that going to make to those clubs? It'll make a really big difference, right? And so, you know, you're talking uh, for a club with uh, zero to 199 members, they're eligible for 10K. For clubs with over 600 members, it's 40K. And so, you know, based on um, that scale, then then that money can go can go a long way. Now, it won't fix all the all the all the um, problems of the world and in, mm. in, in community rugby and in, in the club landscape, but it will make a significant difference. And we're keeping it very open ended, so clubs are able to apply that where it will make the biggest difference. Whether that's retiring a bit of debt. Uh, enhancing their facilities uh, or uh, implementing programs to make their pro- clubs more welcoming. Mm. I know, you know, being in clubland myself, I know that 40k especially will make a huge uh, contribution to the way that volunteers are uh, working with their clubs. Is there criteria around that $40,000? Like, do they have to, I guess, hit some marks that you guys and some outcomes that you guys want so that you can release that money to them? Or do you just go, here's 10 grand, here's 40 grand, now just get on with it? Uh, it's it's not quite as loose as here's ten grand or forty grand get on with it, but we've wanted to keep it very open ended, right? Like this is this is their money. We want them to apply it, and we're trusting club committees and club boards to make good decisions around uh, that investment. But what we have said is um, that there are some things that it can't be invested in or spent on, right? And so we don't want it spent on players. We don't want it spent yeah. on uh, team support staff. So we don't want every Premier Club team having an analyst sitting on the sideline next season, for example, <laughs> right? Um, and we don't want it spent on trips. 
Well, yeah. So we don't want to see the Prezies going to the Gold Coast for a week and having a fantastic time <laughs> on NZR. Yeah. Hey, Lex, mate, honestly, uh, great work from, from the NZR to giving back to the community. Have you, what, what's the feedback from the clubs, mate? Um, what, what has been, the, I've been travelling around doing a, filming a show and we went to a club in, in South Auckland, Puni Rugby Club, mate, and uh, it was in dire state, let's be completely honest. So what has been the feedback from them to, and have they really taken to this? Is this enough or is this just a start? Uh, so I'll answer your last question first. This is the start, right? So this is just an initial uh, cash injection into the club system. Um, yeah, we want to we want to share uh, some of the immediate uh, benefit of Silver Lake with our with our community game, um, and, and and so th- this is really a distribution from that that initial capital injection. But the intent is over time, as uh, you know, Silver Lake's input into our business and our capacity grows, and we're generating more revenue that we're able to continue to invest more money into the community mm-hmm. game. So. Yeah, this is the start, really. Um, the um, the second question in terms of what the clubs have said, well, I guess we'll find out today. We've we've been pretty mindful of of not getting ahead of ourselves, and so we're only we're only announcing this scheme this morning. We've talked, um, you know, uh, openly for some time about there being seven and a half million dollars available to clubs, and certainly there have been plenty of questions about when they can start to get their hands on that. But we've worked through a process over the last couple of months with the provincial unions to. Um, just to ensure that we've got the right criteria in place and that we've got the right checks and balances. So we want to ensure that every club that receives it is legitimately a club, that it's incorporated, that it's a member of the provincial union, uh, and that it is active. Is it every club, links? Like, like we've got so many rugby clubs around New Zealand. Are you going to be able to um, contribute to every club? Yeah, that's the intention. So we've again, we've worked with the unions to this date to, to validate their yeah. local lists of clubs. And by our count, there's somewhere around about 475 clubs you know and we, we don't know exactly because um, we, we, we need to go through that process of validating them against the criteria but we anticipate 470 odd 475 clubs will benefit from this yeah hey it, I just want to sort of take it um, or tack right here with that seven and a half million dollars and I and I'm and I'm guessing that that's just the start of uh, funding that's going on the clubs is there a a, a board that looks after the clubs that you go to to say this is this is what we've got in mind from the NZR to go, go to that clubs and do they have a say in what they could do with that seven and a half million dollars because I'm thinking if you're giving them seven and a half million dollars now and say it's part of a three tiered process and you're going to give them seven and a half million dollars in three years time and, and all of a sudden you've got 21 million dollars that you've ring, ring fenced for the clubs wouldn't it make more sense to invest that 21 million dollars and grow a fund that is prophesizing where the $21 million stays there as opposed to just giving away $7.5 million and it, and it goes and clubs spend it and then you're just um, building a, that, I guess, that um, that perpetual funding that could possibly happen? Yeah, that, I mean, it's a, it's a really good question, right? And it's something we've thought about a lot uh, in terms of how we manage this uh, going forward um, investment and distributions. The key thing to, um, I think, recognise is that uh, with 470 odd clubs, we we can't have a relationship or even direct engagement with all of them, right? And we'd have to set up a department just for that, and it would be a big department. But we've got 26 provincial unions, and so the provincial unions are our conduit to those clubs, yep. and we work with the provincial unions uh, in terms of what's what's best for their clubs locally, uh, and managing the relationship with their clubs. In terms of you know setting up some sort of an endowment or 
um, you know, accumulating funds over time for distribution. We the, another another part of um, this whole construct that we've we've created um, through the new capital um, raise process is what we've called the legacy fund. So mm-hmm. initially, the sixty million dollars being set aside in a legacy nice. fund that will grow over time, and the intent of that fund is is primarily to invest money back into the community game. Uh, but again, we'll do that through the provincial union. So we wouldn't anticipate clubs pitching up and applying directly to access returns from the, the, the legacy fund, but we would expect to be engaging with provincial unions on behalf of their clubs. Mm, like a trust, yeah. Yep. Well, wh- whatever you invest in, let me know, mate, because it's horrible times out there. Holy. <laughs> uh, mate, uh, thanks. Just, just on the, on the game, uh, club rugby, where, where we're at in terms of, of numbers and members being a part of the, of these clubs, it's all um, great and, and, and gravy. Uh, giving these clubs money, but are they general, do they generally have a lot, enough players? I've heard of um, clubs only being able to field one team. So, yep. uh, uh, yeah, where are we at with it in terms of club rugby? Yeah, so senior, so we track we track the numbers through the season, and then we do a wash up at the end of the year where we you know we finalise the numbers. We just have to cross check you know duplicates and the like. But um, but club but senior senior club numbers are actually looking pretty stable. Um, so you know we haven't seen significant movement up or down over the last couple of years. It's been really hard tracking player numbers over the last three years because it's been so volatile. You know, twenty twenty they took a massive hit. Twenty one they were up. This year they're going to be we think down again a bit in total. Uh, but club numbers are actually pretty strong, Steve. What, so, so what is your um, your hope? I guess with the with the um, increase in funding that goes in the club, what do you hope the outcomes are here for all of the clubs as as a development officer for community football? Well, first and foremost, we want to ensure that the clubs make choices that will enable them to still be here in ten or twenty years' time. So, if you know. If, if, if that's clearing a little bit of debt, or or, or um, you know, or putting a lick of paint on the club rooms, that's fine. If if their club rooms are in good heart and financially they're in great shape, then they might want to invest it in um, upgrading some of their, their facilities so that they're um, you know they're more more usable and more accessible for female players because we've got big big growth in numbers and female players and we're significant expecting another significant uplift next year off the back of the World Cup this year. Um, they might invest in, in programs or initiatives to grow, you know, to grow their junior grades. So again, we're keeping it really open ended. We mm. we just don't want to be too prescriptive at this stage. You know, where we, we may be more prescriptive is down the track as we're looking to invest the um, the distributions or the returns from the legacy fund or the the funding that flows into the provincial unions and through them. We know this uh, is this is this a priority for NZR. We know how much how important this is for New Zealand rugby grassroots level. This is where our our next generation come from. So, do you feel like this is the number one priority of New Zealand NZR and other board and Mark Robinson um, helping you um, fulfil this priority? Yeah, ab- absolutely. I, I can I can tell you that um, every time there's a board meeting, community rugby gets significant mm. attention and discussion. Um, Mark yeah. Robinson um, has certainly been a, a really strong driver in ensuring that that we walk the talk um, with the, with the Silver Lake investment and ensuring that. We actually deliver on some of the promises that have been made along the way, and um, as I say, today's you know significant step in that regard. Uh, it totally is, Steve, and um, lots of people will be listening around the country today, thinking, "Oh, I can't wait to to get onto my club and make sure they're chasing this up now that the window's open." Just on that, we know that people, and we talk a lot about, well, I talk a lot about racing on the show, and we've had a real issue with infrastructure, and at the end of the day, yeah, your governors can know exactly what your track needs, or your governors can, you know, the people that look after the game in New Zealand, New Zealand rugby, know what the game needs, but the people that are working in these clubs aren't professionals, they make mistakes, we see it all the time, they're volunteers, they're not necessarily highly skilled at running clubs, but they give their time, they're passionate. Is there any way to make sure... 
and I know you will want insurances that this that the actual stakeholders playing on a Saturday afternoon or parents taking to their clubs, kids to their clubs, aren't being let down by the people actually spending the money. Yeah, absolutely, and that's something else that we, we've contemplated because you're right. There's a there's a massive diversity of of club um, arrangements and, and management. You know capabilities so again the provincial unions are critical here so this whole process will be managed through the provincial unions so every club will uh, today um, or hopefully today receive something from their provincial union advising them that this has opened up for applications the clubs will then have to apply to the provincial union for the funding and again our intent is to get the money out the door not to make that hard it's a simple one page application Um, but there'll be some checks and balances there so when when a club um, submits this application they're also agreeing to be audited uh, if they, if, oh, if, good. And that, so they can be audited. We're not going to go and audit 470 clubs, but if there's cause for concern in a, that, what, that any one provincial union has with an individual club or clubs, then they can go and audit that. Right. Yeah, nice length. Honestly, huge announcement today, 7.5 million back into the rugby clubs. The grassroots, that's the heart of New Zealand rugby. Quickly, just on the under-85s, mate. Obviously, huge weekend. The bush pigs getting it up over the Auckland debt collectors, mate. Honestly, you must be really proud and happy with how... How that tournament's well, gone from strength to strength two years in, back-to-back champions. But, mate, any, any ideas going forward of where we could take this under-85 um, kg competition to, mate? Uh, someone was yeah. talking about a World Cup, mate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, one of our biggest concerns is that if it's successful, it turns into another high-performance competition, which is really not the intention. I mean, it, as, yeah. as anyone that watched the game on Saturday would, 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 would attribute, it was... That, I mean, it was definitely very good rugby, but you know, with an element of tongue in cheek and things like the the Shui Vuitton Cup and that, you know, give it its own flavour. <laughs> um, um, we look, we we've had three years of this competition now. It's grown each year, but each year it has been a COVID disrupted competition. So next year, our intention is just to deliver this without interruption um, and to continue that growth. We're really keen to see some of the provincial unions that. Um, that don't have established grades but have entered composite teams. So, yeah, it'd be great to see those those unions entering more than one team um, off the back of the success of this competition. And then in time, you know, if there was if there was p- the possibility of um, some form of international competition, then you know, frankly, our, you know, our vision for it would be more along the lines of a, um, a a president's grade or a masters type uh, yeah. competition than a, than a than a pure high performance World Cup. Then we're really open to that, but. We just want to take one step at a time with this competition and it'd be really nice to have a run at it without COVID interrupting it um, next year for a start. Oh, I think I, I could just see this happening because people would have seen Saturday and think, man, that looks good. We need to get a team so they'll start recruiting. So you really want it to maintain the amateur kind of title, don't you? So how do you ensure they don't get out there and start losing the plot? So I can picture some, <laughs> some people going out there and start poaching. Yeah, well, we, I mean, you know, it's its something we've considered a lot, right, because you're right, it's like any any com, com, competitive endeavour, once people get a sniff of it, they want to do better, and so player eligibility rules are really important there, we want to, you know, what, it's, it's pretty simple, really, if you're under 85 kilos, you're eligible, <laughs> but if, you know, but, but this year we introduced the rule that you had to play in the, the qualification rounds in order to be eligible for the finals, mm. so we don't want to see uh, clubs parachuting, you know, Premier grade players down following the end of the Premier uh, Competition. Right. What's uh, what's Damien McKenzie weighing these days? Do yeah, you I think he'd qualify. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll so tell you what, what though, I, so I probably didn't qualify. I haven't qualified since I was fourteen years old, unfortunately. <laughs> We've got no chance. We've got no chance. I was thinking last night, like an Andy Ellis coming back from overseas, he'd be under eighty-five, so he'd be eligible. Yeah, he'd be eligible, but he'd have to commit to playing in the competition right, yeah, you know, right, right through from the yeah, start. Yeah, yeah I'd, look, I like I like that rule. And mate, just I just yeah, want to say, well done, well done to the NZR for really um, going back to where the game really needs support in the community rugby. You know, like 
being and working in my own club down in Waitara, um, I'm going to turn into rugby club so I can access that 40,000. <laughs> Kempi, always thinking, always scheming. Um, we'll hear it from yourself, Andrew James, the manager of the Bushies. Manager of the Southern Bush Pigs. We just had him on, and we'll be to give you this feedback because it is really important to hear. Yeah, thanks, New Zealand Rugby, for giving us that opportunity. Playing before an All Blacks game, unreal, you know. Yeah, the boys were just fizzed. It was just such an experience for the guys and um, to get to another final and get the job done again, it's great. Yeah, and that's what you're doing and hopefully um, we can get clubs who can have that sort of uh, gratitude and, and just start to move forward as we continue to grow rugby in New Zealand. Steve, really appreciate your time this morning. Well done and obviously you'll be busy today. So you'll be yep. flat-tack wading through a lot of submissions, you and the unions. Uh, all the best. Thanks a lot. It's always a pleasure. Sometimes needing new tyres can catch us by surprise. That's why tyre power gives you the power of zip pay and zip money. You can get what you need now, get back on the road safely and pay for it later. Terms and conditions apply. So visit tyrepower.com.au or call 13 91.